0: I'm Katie Atwell, co-host of the EduGals podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Christine Marie Eberly, the author of Finding God Abiding, an awesome collection of daily meditations that you will find will speak to you and your life. So much to learn. Thanks for listening. And by the way, it'd be so cool if you went to my website, StephenMiletto.com slash reviews, and I left a review. Could you do that for me? Hmm? That would be so cool. You're awesome. Enjoy the show. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Christy Marie Everly passionately connects spirituality, scripture, and everyday life. After the 2018 publication of her first book, Finding God in Ordinary Time, Christine concluded her 26-year career as a college campus minister to devote her time to writing, public speaking, and retreat facilitation. In person and on the page, she resists pious platitudes while inviting us to encounter a God who has infinite compassion for people in pain. With a contemporary voice that is warm, accessible, and surprisingly funny, Christine offers spiritual nourishment to people skeptical or weary of religion while still giving the faithful something to chew on. You can follow her at christine-marie-everly dot com. Christine, it's awesome to have you on the show. Thanks for joining me, and say hi to everyone.
1: Hi, everybody, and thank you, Stephen, for having me.
0: Well, I'm glad to have you here, and uh, uh, you got some cool books here. They're very neat, and uh, um, and I'm going to say something that's going to kind of date the podcast, but uh, you you have. Our focus today is your most recent book, um, Finding God Abiding, and it's getting ready to come out. It'll come out before this podcast does, but uh, you got that coming out. So congratulations on your this second book here.
1: June 7th. Thank you so much.
0: Awesome. So, Two,
1: two weeks from the day of this recording.
0: Excellent. Excellent. So just around the corner, and uh, we won't be that far off when it goes live, but uh, very cool. So congrats on that, and uh, let's— Let's do this before we get into your book. In your bio, it says, in 2018, you concluded a 26-year career as a college campus minister. Could you talk about some of the lessons that you learned while serving in this capacity, or even if it's just a, a goofy story that kind of <laughs> stuck with
1: you? Sure. Well, just the, the, the quick history of that, I 26-year career, I worked at two schools. I worked at a medium-sized state university. Westchester University in at a Newman Center, which is the Catholic facility that serves Catholic students at a secular university. So I was a diocesan employee. And then after 11 years of that, I went to Gwynedd Mercy College and then university, a small Catholic college run by the Sisters of Mercy, where I was director of campus ministry. So the first thing I would say, I just wanna say two things. One is that I had no idea how different those two jobs are. You know, you can have the same job title and depending on the context in which you do it, very different places. I I joke that I went from being basically an assistant pastor to being a college administrator. And and those are vastly different jobs. Both both enjoyable, but it really it was a heck of a transition for me. Um and the other thing I will say about campus ministry, especially in light of of the target audience of your podcast, my former boss at Gwynedd Mercy, Sister Katie McMahon, used to say when she did mission orientations, she would say, we are all educators and we are always teaching. And she would say that to gatherings of staff. She would say it to the public safety staff, to the maintenance staff to the student activity staff, we're all educators and we're always teaching because whenever a student's eyes are on you, you are communicating something about what it means to be a person, a professional, a person of faith, uh, a person of mercy in in that school, Um, you know, an adult with a meaningful life, you're communicating what you value. So we are all educators and we're always teaching. I thought was a, a very good thing to hold on to day to day.
0: That's awesome, and I think that that is a great thing to stay on to hang on mm-hmm. to because that's because uh, um, that applies to a lot of areas. I mean, we are all teaching. I like that mm-hmm. all the time. Good stuff. I, you know, it, um, in 2018, you published your your book Finding God in Ordinary Time. Could you tell us a little bit about it?
1: Sure. Um one of the things I say when people say, "Oh, your first book, how long did it take you to write it?" I say, "9 months." Okay, well, 9 years and 9 months because I actually started it almost a decade earlier. Um I had been I had a friend who was an acquisitions editor for a press which shall remain nameless and I had written a few things for their magazine and my friend said, "I know you got a book in you. What is it?" I said, give me the weekend. And I went home, and I thought, and I prayed, and I wrote, and I pitched Finding God in Ordinary Time. Not with that cover. Um, I think it was going to be, I think my original working title was Finding God at the Water's Edge, which turned out to be, or maybe even just At the Water's Edge, which turned out to be the title of one of the chapters. Um, But I pitched that book. He liked it. We started to run with it. I was about nine chapters in when my friend had an abrupt job transition and i really lost interest in working with that press and put the manuscript in a drawer so to speak (laughs) um and came back to it only when a a facebook sweepstakes brought me up to a writer's retreat in vermont called when words count and a group of uh, a very interfaith group of people at a secular retreat listened to me read a couple chapters of my first draft and said that they i was i was going to try to pivot and make it an advent resource because i had this four week format in mind and advent is four weeks long and who doesn't like a nice little advent devotional and uh and they said no 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 not an advent devotional i said why what do you people know about advent like why are you so clear about this and they said, if it's a little Advent book, it's going to live in a little Catholic bookstore where people like us will never be able to find it. And that convinced me that I needed to write for a wider audience. And it let me take the risk of just going with a secular publisher, um, you know, not somebody whose catalog was going to hit the desk of everyone like me all over the country. And so that's, that's been the beginning of my publication adventure.
0: That's cool. That's cool. What And I can imagine in some ways a little scary to take that advice
1: um, mm-hmm.
0: as well as wise, but <laughs> part of it is, you know, I, I would think you would be, should I go the route? I know that magazine will end up somewhere. A catalog mm-hmm. will end up on some people's desks, but if I go this way.
1: <laughs> right, right. There's, there's the, um, there's an expression I love in Spanish, hace camino al andar, the road is made by walking. And I feel like that's what I am very much doing is, is making my own road uh, as of especially as a freelancer. Now I don't fit in neat categories and that's okay.
0: That is okay. That's awesome too. That's uh <laughs> that is very cool. You now I got to tell you that, so did one of your chapters fit that? Cause I think that that's a, <laughs> that's one that it would fit perfectly in uh in uh, in your books here, that's just good stuff. Well,
1: there will always be another book, yes. God willing. So
0: <laughs> nice, I like that. Um, so so let's go ahead and shift to the, the book that's getting ready to come out. It's uh, your, your your next book is called Finding God Abiding. Um, it will be released um, shortly before this podcast is posted, and uh, you know on the cover is noted that the book is composed of daily meditations. And so, basically, what I'm getting ready to ask you is a little bit about the formatting. Could you explain what this is?
1: Mm-hmm. So the the format that I pitched really for that original book, and then again for this book, um, people sometimes question the word meditations, and they think of you know, are you having people sit cross-legged? Is anyone chanting Om? Like, what's what's happening here? By daily meditations, I just mean a little bit of spiritual sustenance to chew over, say at the beginning of the day. So each book, each I'm sorry, each chapter begins with a very short scripture quote, a true story that segues into some musing on lessons learned, and ends with a couple questions for personal reflection. The the secret to this format, or to my development of this format, is that for those ten ten of the years I was at the Newman Center, I worked with a priest with a very collaborative preaching style, and so we would each read the readings of the day at home in the morning, and when we were about, I kid you not, 20 minutes out from Mass, for for daily Mass, we would go in his office and close the door and brainstorm, okay, what are you going to say today? And of course, in the Catholic tradition, it's always him who's going to be doing the saying, but... um, you know, we would we would bounce things around and I would say 60-70% of the time it was my idea coming out his mouth half an hour later. Um, you know, and so it really honed this ability to, to figure out what story from life, because everybody loves a true story, you know, people don't want some story you made up so that the details just fit the lesson you're trying to give. What What real-life something illustrates a principle that you're trying to teach about? And so to do that on the fly for 10 years really uh, was very good preparation for doing it more thoughtfully in book form.
0: That's that's really cool. I mean, because I got to tell you, you know, it's funny. um, One of the coolest um, Catholic services I've ever been to
1: that's a sentence you don't hear very often. Go on.
0: <laughs> oh, it's um, and it, it was so awesome because I had family who attended this church all the time. I had gone to visit them, and uh, so I went to see, and there was a um, priest who was probably in his late 60s, and then there was a priest who was in probably his 30s, somewhere in that range. And they did just exactly what you're talking. I mean, I don't know how they prepared, but they did this whole thing that
1: was—it
0: it was the most awesome service I've ever been to because they like sort
1: of like a dialogue. Homily? Y-
0: yes, it was like a dialogue, and wow, and they on purpose were um, the uh, funny, <laughs> and it was—it made it even funnier because the uh, the, the the older gentleman. <laughs> was the funny one <laughs> and the younger one was the one who, who uh, kind of walked into the trap. And it was, it was cool because it was, uh, it was the most unique service I think I've ever been to. And, you know, and it was a traditional Catholic service, high, high level, um, the way they ran everything, but they did this kind of dialogue. So that was cool. What you're just talking about because then now you're making me wonder, because I went there multiple times while I was visiting, um, over a couple of years and, uh, it was, it makes me wonder if they prepared kind of like what you were talking about. Cause it was mm. just a, uh, that's, uh, that's a neat thing. So very cool. Um, yeah. Okay. You write a book about that. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, you know what I got to ask you, uh, should finding God abiding be read from cover to cover or is it more of a choosing a section that speaks to you type? Is that the type of book it is where you read that way?
1: You know, it, it really could be anything a reader wants it, in my imagination. People take one chapter a day for if you start with the introduction and you go to the poem at the end, you could you could take a month, you know, one a day for a month. I recognize that that's a little bit like asking people to eat one chocolate covered espresso bean every day for a month. (laughs) I personally would not be very good at that, Um, but I can't tell you how often somebody will say to me about the first book oh, your book came yesterday. It was wonderful. (laughs) think, oh my word, I worked so hard on this, and it came yesterday, and you're done? (laughs) I'm sorry. You know it's going to take me a while to come up with another one, right? (laughs) Um, So there is, people have often told me that when they finish one chapter, they just want to know what happens in the next one. Not that it's a plot that they're following, but, you know, they they just want to keep reading. Um, I think sometimes people also then will s- go back and read it more slowly, or will, you know, flip through and just look at the chapter titles and see which one grabs them and read that one. And ideally, it's it's not just read, it's prayed with, which is where the questions for personal reflection come in. Not that it's not a workbook, there's not space to, well, actually, it's in the new book, actually, there is space to write if you really wanted to. but. Um, that's not the idea, but the idea definitely is that people will use these chapters to think about their own life and where God is in all that. And you know, that it, it will be a, an, an aid for prayer.
0: That is awesome. As is, is, I could just, you know, I'm sorry. I can think of the different people, um, talking about, uh, Um, so when's the next one coming? Finished. We're good. You know, and then others, you know, fine kind of going daily to, um, by each chapter or whatever, each section. And, um, and then, you know, there's people like me who, you know, you you mean well by starting at the beginning, but something else, you look at the chapter list and you go, wait a second. Let me go look at that first.
1: (laughs) Right. Right. I have a friend, sister Karen Herring is a sister of mercy out in Cincinnati who, She started emailing me after she was doing the one a day with the first book, but she began emailing me partway through daily emails like you have 17 days to release your next book. You have 13 days to release your next book. Nice. Nice. Sorry, Karen, you're going to have to wait a little while.
0: That's funny. Uh, You know, let's talk a little bit about the format of the book. You know, finding God abiding is broken into four parts, perceiving, becoming, embracing and releasing. Uh, could you talk about the significance of these words in the relationship to what will be found in these sections?
1: Absolutely. But before I do that, can we just talk about how well those words go together? Sure. I'm I'm always very conscious about how words sound, not just how they look on the page, partially because I do a lot of public speaking and I know that I'm going to be reading this stuff aloud over and over and over again. Um at some point it will become an audio book. But I, I, I think that writing in general is better if you have an ear out for what it's going to sound like. And I knew the concepts that I wanted to get across, but I, I really wanted words that would, they've just got to match. Like I just, you know, okay. So they're all gerunds. <laughs> um and they have the same cadence perceiving becoming embracing releasing that took a while so I just wanted to I just really wanted to highlight that that's cool I feel really good about it
0: you, you should they do fit well <laughs> together that's that's awesome but, I like that but,
1: but them fitting them sounding nice together would of course uh, amount to nothing if they also weren't good concepts so here's what I say let me back up and say that in the first book finding God in ordinary time, That was also four weeks. And when I say weeks, it's because there's four sections and each one has seven reflections, seven chapters. Those four, I call them terrains, were four places where we can spot the presence of God sort of hidden in plain sight. And so I talk about finding God in the wonders of the created world, in surprising encounters with strangers, in disorienting experiences of travel and in poignant moments of life transition and so those are the four terrains and they sort of are they are kind of out there things where we can experience god sort of out beyond ourselves in finding god abiding i turn inward a bit and i talk about four movements that everyone goes through in the course of their life. So perceiving, becoming, embracing, releasing. I say perceiving, we awaken to the world around us. Becoming, we discover and rediscover our path. Embracing, we practice love in its many forms. And releasing, we grieve the loss of much that we hold dear. And I say that these movements are neither sequential nor singular. We go back and forth like a weaver on the great Loom that is our life, and much like a tapestry, we are often only staring at the backside, and one square inch at a time. Whereas God beholds it whole, God sees the entirety, God sees the beauty.
0: Well, I can tell you that what's really cool is that, uh, I mean, each of these words, when you know a little bit more about the words and where everything's going, I mean, I think I think people will find a little bit of everything that. Something touches home in each of it, mm-hmm. in each of them, and it just—I uh, mean—I know it did me, and I—I I don't see how anyone could not feel, <laughs> not be impacted that way. So, yeah, I just got to say kudos to you because it's a there's there's they just really work well. And
1: thank it, you. I mean, I think they're common life experiences that we that we share. The details are different, but the movements are very similar for many people.
0: I I agree. Totally agree. Uh, You know, one of the things that uh, I got to talk about is I have my favorites in your book. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of my favorite entries is found on page 37 in the beginning of part two, Becoming. And it goes like this. What do you want to be? Through the grace of God, we are always becoming. Could you talk a little bit about what you're talking about?
1: Absolutely. Um, I start that introduction by, by saying that People ask, what do you, you you are never too old for someone to ask what you want to be when you grow up. And in some ways, that's a joke. But in other ways, we know that people have their act three, you know, their encore career. We are, we are living longer. We are living healthier. Uh, we are desiring more, I think, freedom and satisfaction and meaning in our work. And so the concept of what we're going to be really does very much keep evolving. Um, I I know, I mean, I, I could never have pictured, there was a lot of time where I couldn't picture myself not being a campus minister. I, I, you know, wondered about making this shift because this is what I had always said for for decades when someone said, what do you want to be when you grow up? I would say, I want to be a freelance me. Let me come be me for you for a little while, and and that is, by the way, exactly what I'm doing now. But when I would say it then, I would I would think about it, and I would I would try to imagine not being part of a campus community, and not being part of a professional network of people who all did the same thing, and it was it was terrifying. I I really couldn't picture myself outside those parameters, but. Something happened when I was, I'm going to say, 51 that made me realize that I really could think more seriously about what it would look like to make this shift. And so I started a file on my computer and a page in a a fresh journal called Plan 54 because I figured that it would take me about three years to get into place the pieces that would be necessary for me to make this leap. And in fact, I stepped down from my day job about three weeks after my 54th birthday. Um, so, so plan 54, that's definitely part of what I mean by the, the always becoming, but one of the groups that I am connected with now is the Ignatian Volunteer Corps. This is a ministry of the Jesuits, a uh, lay run ministry of the Jesuits that is, takes people 50 and over, and over can sometimes be 80 something, and pairs them up into long-term volunteer matches with charitable organizations that desperately need their skill and expertise and could not possibly afford to pay them for it. And it it very much is a win-win because these folks, they, they commit to one or two days of service, 10 months of the year, the agency gets a very reliable, seasoned volunteer that's really more like a part-time staff member in exchange for paying just a small stipend to the national office that then supports the volunteers, uh, does monthly formation gatherings, really gives them a community of support in addition to the, the work that they're doing. So I'm I'm connected with this group now uh, in in many ways. My brother and brother-in-law are on the staff. My partner is an Ignatian volunteer. A shout out to Porter who's volunteering at Sanctuary Farm, an urban farm in North Philadelphia. And I'm on the regional advisory council for the Philadelphia chapter. And I'm also leading monthly reflections for IVC's virtual community which are people who are all over the country, maybe not in a city where IVC has a geographic footprint, but who are nevertheless placed in volunteer assignments, often virtual assignments, and gather monthly in a Zoom room to do the same shared prayer and reflection as everyone else. And I'm I'm going on about this at some length simply to say I've met so many people who are doing really interesting things later in life. and in the very last call that I was on our, our virtual community just wrapped up for the program year last week. And somebody said, what if the most important thing we're going to do with our lives still lies ahead of us? Wow. And this person was, I think in his seventies.
0: Nice. That's powerful so through
1: the grace of God. We are always becoming
0: that is so cool. Cause that's, Yeah, that's the way I took it too. As I was reading this, I'm like, as I read it a couple of times and it's, you know, it's, uh, I'm in the middle of one of those types of transitions where you kind of, you know, you question yourself, is this, uh, you know, should I, what, you know, there's all kinds of questions I could throw in there.
1: Mm -hmm. And,
0: uh, and then when you read that, it's like, you know, this, this is, I'm still becoming, I'm following that path or that dream or whatever you want to call it. And, and so I just this really spoke to me. So I think that's awesome.
1: I'm so glad.
0: You know, the, another one of my favorites is in Chapter 27. Just as a side note, I have to tell you that I had a hard time because there's another one in there that it's the one that drew my attention to it at first, but I didn't include it <laughs> because these two kind of really spoke to me more. But the other one was about the toy truck. All right. I just wanted to oh. mention that to it.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um <laughs> That's the one that took me to it first. I was like, I was flipping through, and I went, "Whoa, hey, gotta go to that page." And uh, uh-huh. but these two went out, so I, I want to say that. Um, and for those of you listening, you got to read the book to find out about the toy truck. All right. Uh-huh. So. But um, you know, this other favorite is chapter twenty-seven, and it's finding God in a broken glass. Is there a loss that threatens to overwhelm you, even from a distance of time? Could you talk about this section in the lesson learned?
1: Sure. So the the story, and it's funny that you mentioned flipping through and, and chapter titles because I really do try to the, the the chapter title is about takes its title from the whatever the story is that precedes the lesson. So you don't really know what's coming. So, you know, finding God in a fire siren, finding God without a place to sleep, finding God in a juicy peach, it it goes on and on. But the, the story behind the broken glass, so I went through a seven year period in my life where I lost my mother, my father, my cousin who had been like a sister to me, my grandmother and my 19 year old cat which granted was the least significant of the losses, but it did affect my daily life quite profoundly. Um, but so I really, it was quite the season of, of grief and loss in my life. And I think we go through seasons, you know, families can go a decade or more without a significant death. And then all of a sudden, every time you turn around, you're going to a funeral. So it, it was one of those seasons, but. But um, the, the, that loss was not just my mother and then my father, but also our homestead, The family home of 35 years, which my brother and I had to, you know, clean out and deal with every single blessed object in the house and make decisions. And it was awful, as anybody who has done that for anybody knows. And I had a small house at the time and could not take a ton of stuff. So I was pretty choosy about what I brought with me. And just there was this one lovely pint glass. It was brightly colored. uh, No special significance to it other than that I really liked it. And my mother knew I really liked it. And so it's the one she always reached for when I came over. So I've had milk out of that glass. I've had Coke. I've had Guinness. uh, It was my glass. (laughs) Um, And so I, I brought that home. And the... The glass, this is more detailed than you need, but the glass that I usually kept on my nightstand was in the sink for washing. And so I grabbed my glass from my parents' house to bring up to bed with me one night and went to fill it in the bathroom in the dark. And just, it it was taller than the glass I usually used. And I clunked it right into the metal faucet and and it just shattered into pieces. now, on one level, no big deal. It's an object. It is literally a piece of glass, which is by definition, breakable. But I, I think there was just so much symbolic weight on that. And, and I lay in bed after I cleaned up the mess. I lay in bed really almost panic-stricken and, and not understanding my own feelings or why I was, I was so devastated by, you know, really, am am I more upset about the glass than about my mother? Well, no, (laughs) I'm upset about the glass because I'm upset about my mother. The glass was carrying the weight of, of all that sorrow and all that loss. And, um, yeah. So the, the, the symbolic power, my, my cousin, Susan, who's one of the other people that I lost, she was a, A counselor with um, emotionally disturbed children. I I don't know if that's still what we call them, but at the time, that's what she worked with, was emotionally disturbed children. She used to say, I love the desk throwers. Um, But she would also say that when she would encounter real trauma and tragedy in, in her students, she could be cool as a cucumber she could handle it she could you know get somebody into a safe hold she could do whatever needed to be done and then she would come home and she would sit on her couch and she would you know watch the evening news and burst into tears at a rainbow bright cereal commercial (laughs) um okay the cereal commercial isn't actually all that sad unless maybe you're a dentist you know but um you know, but sometimes we can sort of protect ourselves against the waves of emotion when we're dealing with that actual thing. But my goodness, if we put up the dam in one place, there's going to be a crack that comes someplace else, and that grief is going to pour through it. And for me, that night, it was through a broken glass.
0: And that is so that story is so powerful because I. Yeah, I have some friends who, yeah, they, they may not let anything bother them, (laughs) but you know, I, I have others as well as myself who there are certain things and it just really spoke. (laughs) I mean, it's like, uh, um, in, in the profession that I'm in and in the world that I'm in about five years ago, we changed, we moved 30 miles away. And so Mm -hmm. everything had to go there. Well, that meant my office had to be packed up and all of that. and, and, there's a couple of things that I keep with me. And right now there'd be people that would be rolling their eyes going, a couple.
1: <laughs>
0: um, but the, uh, and one of those things is a bust of, uh, Ulysses Grant that, and it's, it's not something super fancy. I, I, as a kid, I was looking for something for my father for his, uh, for Christmas. And, uh, uh, I was, uh, taken to the store and he, you know, he always talked about Grant. he, I think he read just about every book in his time that had been written on him. And, uh, he used to like to say that he was, um, Grant's horse reincarnated. Um, (laughs) (laughs) and, um, but the, what was interesting was that to say that the movers were not Mm -hmm. the the most careful nor attentive to detail. Mm -hmm. And the, there were several boxes that just kind of disappeared. And, uh, um, that box disappeared and I was really, cause there were several things in there. One of them being that, uh, that bust and it was something that I gave him. I was probably eight or nine years old. So I'm not so sure I really knew what I was giving him, except that that was the the man he always talked about and, and read about and stuff like this. And uh, the most, I was so <laughs> messed up for a while and I was angry mm. and I went through these different emotions Um 2 years later it was found in one of the rooms in a stack of other boxes where it shouldn't have been.
1: <laughs> Whoa. How about that? <laughs>
0: that was cool. And so yeah. I but I you know whether I'm telling that story or other stories that have something like that. I mean that yeah. that section was so powerful and your lesson is so powerful um because you know thinking about why you're upset or what you know is mm-hmm. what what is it of a significance here and
1: and what I, what I try to tell myself in a situation like that, because there have been so many waves of having to give away possessions, um, what I tell myself is everything important that I had from these people is already on the inside. You know, I got my mother's love of reading and her high cholesterol. <laughs> you know, um, And I could go through that list for every one of these people that I've lost. Everything important is already on the inside. And, um, and that is very clear in your story about the bust of Grant. Even if you hadn't found it again, um, your leader, your listeners can't see this, but the look on your face as you were talking about nine-year-old you knowing your father's love of Grant, that's, that doesn't ever go away, no matter what happens to what I assume is a not terribly expensive object. <laughs>
0: Not at all. I mean, it, you know, when you get older and you find out how, you know, just as a note, my parents were divorced. So, you know, I'm not sure if this was my stepmother helping me buy it or if this was my mom helping me buy it, but, you know, that also plays in there too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so just as a note. And, and it's one of those things that, yeah, you probably read my face right because it's, it's kind of interesting because it's, I don't have much from when I was a kid. Um, because of going between households and mm. <laughs> people move in different places, and it's just and that was one of those things that it was like somehow that came back into my uh, my world, and I was like I didn't want to let go of it, and to think that really it disappeared on a trip thirty miles <laughs> where it shouldn't have gone, it went from box, it went from shelf to box, box to truck, truck to building. No, <laughs> it's
1: and, oh. so,
0: crazy, but it, you know, you think about stuff like that and, you know, as a, whether it's a kid or as an adult or it's, there's something that's kind of meaningful to you about uh, whatever that is
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it's a cool thing, so mm. um, so um just as a note, those are just two of so many that spoke to me and, uh, but uh, I think you have a way of writing and a way of connecting it with the lesson and that just really works, and it's not. I mean, it just, it just hits, hits home. And I could, I could mention a whole bunch more. And, um, but the, uh, but uh, kudos on that. I, you know, at the end of your book, Finding God Abiding, you have included a poem called "Abide with Me." Why would you include this?
1: Well, of course, there's a story. Um, <clears throat> when I was doing my first book, I both for both books, I worked with a wonderful editor named Peggy Moran. And when we, she got to the end of the first manuscript, she said, I feel like it needs just a little something at the end that's not yours. Like just a little treat, a little piece of dessert at the at the end of the book. And, and what would it be? And for that book, Mary Oliver's beautiful little poem, Praying, was exactly what I wanted. And as I, I was able to obtain permission to use it and et cetera. So I, I liked the concept of ending with, with something, And Abide With Me is actually the lyrics to a song, and it's a hymn. And I talk about the hymn all the way back in the introduction, and here I am flipping back to, uh, so I can quote it appropriately. Um, It was penned by Anglican minister Henry Light in the 19th century during his final illness, conscious of the swiftly passing days, Light begged the god who had been with him always to stay close by his side the hymn begins and i'll just read the first verse abide with me fast falls the even tide the darkness deepens lord with me abide when other helpers fail and comforts flee help of the helpless oh abide with me and i go on to say light's opening line alludes to the story of the road to emmaus in luke's gospel two dejected disciples trying to make sense of the crucifixion that seemed to have dashed all their hopes found themselves walking and talking with the risen jesus with their eyes prevented from recognizing him reaching their destination but not wanting to part from this intriguing new companion they urged him to stay abide with us they said for it is toward evening and the day is far spent that we do not know how far spent our own days may be. Like those heartbroken disciples, we often need God to help us make sense of it all. So I liked the the scriptural allusion and it really is a, a very pretty hymn. There's a oh there was a uh, TV show, I forget which streaming network a couple of years ago called World on Fire that was set in World War II. And there is a scene where, uh, I wish I had seen this more recently, but there's a scene where the British forces are being overwhelmed in whatever stronghold they're holding. And when it is absolutely clear that the Nazis are almost upon them, one of them stands up and begins to sing this song. And one by one, the rest of the soldiers get up and join in until everyone is singing it it gave me goosebumps watching it it's given me goosebumps talking to you about it um, you know and it really is just talking about it it's it's from the perspective of someone who's near the end of their life and and wants god to stay close and believes that god has always been close and i would say that the the best contemporary rendition i have heard if your listeners can just go to youtube and look up Audrey Assad's version of this. She does a lovely, lovely haunting job. So I played that a lot while I was uh, writing writing this book.
0: That is so powerful. That is so cool. So I know what I'll be listening to after we get finished.
1: <laughs> okay, <laughs>
0: that's cool. Yeah. The, um Just that's just awesome. i Christine, we're getting ready to close and. Uh, uh, before we do that, could you let everyone know where they could uh, connect and learn more? And maybe, you know, could you also talk about how they can, because you're a speaker, so how do they right. engage you as a speaker?
1: So the easiest way to find me is simply to Google my name or whatever search engine you prefer, Christine Marie Eberly. My actual website is com, but there are hyphens between each word in my name, so that complicates it a bit. but. Google me, christinemarieeverly.com. And I yes, the the writing is really only part of what I do. I am also, as you said in the beginning, a, a speaker and a retreat facilitator. I do things, I do everything from, you know, <laughs> brief reflections <laughs> uh, to keynote addresses to evenings of reflection i have a couple 24 uh, hour retreats coming up after this book comes out one at cronleith spiritual center in philadelphia one at st james parish up in morristown new jersey so i'm i'm definitely willing to travel and i also do things via zoom i can do a 2 hour zoom retreat uh, was a something i developed in in pandemic so i'm um, let me come be me for you for a little while
0: that is awesome, and uh, I will include your your web page in the show notes, so it'll be easy for them to find and uh, and follow up and uh, and get you to talk to them or for them, and uh, as well as uh, um, learn more about what you're writing about and talking about, and uh, and uh, find your books too. So
1: great, and there's a I've also blog, so there's there's a blog tab as well, and you often know what I'm thinking.
0: <laughs> That's excellent, excellent. So I'll put all that in the show notes. Cool, and. Thank you. Uh, so Christine, I've got two last questions. They have nothing to do with what we've been talking about. And these questions I like to ask my guests. And the first one goes like this. If you have so much going on that you become overwhelmed, how do you overcome the desire to quit?
1: Hmm. Well, we're making the assumption that that desire should be overcome.
0: <laughs> That's a good point.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at you pointedly, which your listeners cannot see, but, um, but assuming that, that, that it is not the moment to quit. Um, I so, two things. First of all, I would say for myself, I need to ask myself how much of my present overwhelmedness is something I am bringing upon myself by my own high standards. Um, I a long time ago learned to let a handout go out with a typo if I've already run it off. In the interest of saving time and trees, it hurts my heart every time I do that, and I really try not to, but there's something to be said for good enough. And sometimes our own obsession about the way a thing must be done is the very thing that is making us miserable doing it. So that's that's point one. Point two would be simply spend a little time trying to remember why you're doing what you're doing a friend of mine when i was near the beginning of my time in ministry he said that the best advice ever given to him when he was going into youth ministry was love the kids plain and simple love the kids and and if your audience is is mostly teachers they know what that means Love the kids doesn't necessarily mean return their tests on time. Love the kids doesn't mean find the perfect graphic for every handout. <laughs> um, you know, and they can fill in their own what it doesn't mean. But what's the core? What is the core of why you're doing what you're doing? That's a little shout out to Simon Sinek. Um, getting back in touch with your why. and And getting in touch with, in my previous book, I have a chapter called Finding God in the Yes. But I say that when it comes to the big things, I'm also an advocate of the no. Because no's help us safeguard our big yes. So figure out what your big yes is so that you know what you really ought to be saying no to. I, you know, well, I... in your spare time.
0: Yeah. Hey, I like that. That's that is really awesome advice. Um, the uh, just good stuff. Thank you, Christine. I, you know, the last question I have goes like this: Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If mm. if so, who was it, and what would you say if given the chance to say thank you?
1: Well, that's a great question because I actually did get a chance to say thank you when my first book was coming out you know there's the acknowledgements section and and i really thought long and hard about who i wanted to thank for this first in this first book because you know that's a lifetime of thanks the second book it's like who's helped me in the last four years but but this one that's a that's a 53 year project um and so i say in my acknowledgements for that book i say i want to thank the two religious sisters who were my best writing coaches, my fifth-grade teacher, Sister Marian Consuela, now Sister Marian Robinson, because, you know, that happened with Catholic sisters, and my 12th-grade English teacher, Sister Dolores Catherine, or DK, now Sister Rosemary Davis. I say, I can honestly say I remember all of my vocabulary words and most of my affirmations, because Sister Marian was so into teaching us vocabulary fifth grade, you know, but she was teaching us words like, like, I remember bumper shoot. (laughs) And I, I, on the spot, I can't remember what else, but she really, I feel like my vocabulary increased because of that particular sister and sister Dolores Catherine. um, She had these five affirmations that she wrote on the blackboard and that we had to say at the beginning of every class, this was AP English senior year, These were high-achieving, high-stress students, and every day we said, among other things, God loves me unconditionally. Therefore, I like myself. I will never devalue myself through destructive self-criticism. I see God in others. Therefore, I have unconditional warm regard for all persons at all times. Okay. 12th grade. (laughs) How old are you in 12th grade? 18. I am 56 years old now, and that stuff still spills off my tongue. So, Thank you, Sister DK. But when the book came out, it came out in September of 2018 and at Christmas time, I made appointments to go visit each of them. Sister Mary and I had seen semi-regularly because she's a sister of Mercy and I worked for a Mercy institution. but Sister Dolores Catherine I had not seen since graduation and I made appointments to go spend time with each of them. I didn't tell them why. I just handed them a wrapped gift and let them unwrap it and discover that I had indeed published a book and then turn to the acknowledgements page, which made me happier than just about anything I've ever done.
0: That is Teachers so Teachers
1: make a difference.
0: That is so cool. That really is. That is, that is uh, um, you're talking about goosebumps earlier. That's, that makes That is so cool that you're able to do that and mm. to be able to have uh, um, the ones who had the impact, yeah, have that such an impact on you to be able to talk. You yeah, know,
1: yeah. Show them and yeah, and you know this. This is not about a teacher, but one of the people that I thank in the new book, Sister Maria De Monte, was the Dominican sister who um, realized that I probably wasn't cut out to be a nun, for which I am eternally grateful. And I I went looking for her once and didn't find her and didn't try hard enough. And when I finally tracked her down, when this book was coming out. I discovered that she had passed just a few months prior. So I I told her order about the book and the thanks and promised that when the book comes out I will send them a copy just for the Dominicans to have, because she she was an important person in my life.
0: That's very nice. That is awesome. Um was so cool. Uh Christine, it was awesome talking with you. It really was. This is
1: cool. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. And thank you to the good folks at Woodhall Press for making this possible. We haven't said their name out loud, but we absolutely should. Cause they, they took a gamble on me and I'm grateful.
0: Very cool. I make sure that uh, I, I um, do one of those linking things in my social media and stuff like that then. Good. So very cool. I mean, your book, finding God abiding is thought, provoking, engaging, and extremely helpful and uh, you know, I wish you the best in all you do
1: thank you Stephen thank you so much good luck with your own transitions teaching learning leading k-12 is
0: excited to be a member of voice ed radio voice ed radio your voice is right here teaching learning leading k-12 is a proud member of the education podcast network podcasts for educators podcasts by educators <laughs>